Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for this this time that we have here tonight, a chance once again to uh, celebrate the birth of your son, Jesus Christ, and the life that we have, because not only was he born, but he lived and then he died. He died for our sins so that we could have life. And so, Father, we pray that this time would be a time of reflection. It would be a time, Lord, in which our minds and our hearts would be focused on you. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to please be seated. Welcome. Merry Christmas, everybody. Fantastic. Merry Christmas to all of you who are watching via the live stream. It's great to have you here and a a part of our second uh, Christmas Eve celebration. And uh, we are just thrilled to be able to venture further into this time here together. As Alyssa mentioned uh, a little bit before, we decided to forego the screen, the big screen um, behind me, uh, for for the reason because we, we wanted to focus tonight on, um, on the words, what it is we're singing, uh, why it is that we're singing it. And oftentimes we can, you know, we can get distracted. That's a great resource, but every now and then it's good to let go of those things. So uh, we, we want to just offer you a time where you can reflect and remember the reason for the season. It, sh- it sounds cliche to say that, you know, that's a cliche statement, reason for the season. Uh, but it's true. Jesus Christ is why it is that we celebrate Christmas. Christmas and certainly why it is that we're here tonight. So as you walked in, you were given a candle, and uh, at the end of the service, we're going to do those. Don't light those yet. We're going to do the candles at the end. Uh, but you are also given a box, and that box is important because that's a talking Bible. A talking Bible is, it, it sounds kind of silly, a talking Bible, but it's actually a really awesome functional tool. Uh, so it is the Bible in audio form. Now, you, you're probably thinking, well, yeah, okay, well, I could just get on iTunes and listen to that, no problem. Well, this is, this is uh, different because these talking Bibles are from the organization called Talking Bibles, and the ones that you have in your hands are specifically in the R.C. Aroma language. And the reason that's important is because at the beginning of December, we gave this challenge to everybody as a part of our church uh, to consider giving to send 163 of these talking Bibles that are in the R.C. Aroma language to the Aroma people in Ethiopia. And that's a big deal because the Aroma people, as we've talked about over the past month, they are, they largely, they have not even heard of Jesus Christ. They haven't heard the Word of God before. They haven't read it because many of them are illiterate and many of them are certainly impoverished and so they wouldn't even be able to afford what it is that you have in your hand. And so what Talking Bibles does is they first pinpoint people in that area, specifically pastors and evangelists, who will form listening groups, groups of 20 to 25 people that will sit around and listen to God's Word. And so that means that the 163 Bibles that we're going to be sending over to to the Aroma people in Ethiopia, that it's going to touch 3,000 to 5,000 ears, which is unbelievable. It's incredible. And they're going to hear for the first time, the first time, the hope of Jesus Christ. And it costs money to send these things. So we put this out. We said, okay, we need to raise $8,150. And that happened in a week and a half. (laughs) It was incredible. Yeah, please clap for that. It's awesome. It's awesome. 
It's just a continued, a continued statement, a testament to the generosity of this place. It's just, it's just mind-blowing. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, over the, uh, the next few months, we're going to be learning more um, about the, uh, the Oromo people in Ethiopia. And then myself and Paul Lindbergh are going to be going to this part of the world, and we're going to hand-deliver those exact talking Bibles that you have in your hands. And they were in the hands of all the people that were in the first service. We're going to then give those to the Aroma people so that they can begin exploring God's Word. So what I want to do to get our service started out is to pray over each of these talking Bibles. So if you would grab that talking Bible that you were given, put it in your hands, and we're going to pray for each of these because that Bible that you're holding... That Bible that you're holding will be in the hands of a pastor or evangelist in, the, uh, in that area, in Ethiopia, and it will be used to reach a group of 20 to 25 people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Father, uh, we, we pray earnestly that these talking Bibles, Lord, the, the Word of God in their language, Lord, that it would be received by people who are prepared to not only hear the Word of God, but then to respond to what it says, to respond to the life and the hope that comes only from you and is so beautifully, beautifully depicted and personified in your Son, Jesus Christ the life that he gave, how he died on the cross for our sins, how he rose from the dead, and how he's living today, and how that message of hope is the message that we, that we can't wait to get into the, not only the hands, but then the, the ears and the hearts of the Aroma people in Ethiopia. We pray for each of these specific Bibles, Lord that each one of them you would prepare and that you would prepare the hearts and minds of those that will be listening and that lives would be changed, Lord. We thank you for your provision and we thank you for the privilege of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name, amen. We have been going through a series over the course of December called Christmas at the Movies. And if you know me, you know that I love Christmas movies. We've looked at several. We looked at Christmas Carol. Uh, now, there are 24 versions of that, so I know everybody in this room, their favorite one is the Muppet Christmas Carol, if we're all honest with one another, right? Okay. And, and then we looked at um, the Polar Express which is a fantastic uh, movie as well. And today, we're going to be looking at It's a Wonderful Life, but we're going to do something a little old school. Again, because we wanted to provide a time where we can really use our senses to reflect on the reason for the season. <laughs> we're going to go like radio play today, all right? So we're going to have you listen to some scenes. And I really think that this is, this is going to be, be kind of cool. But if you, if you haven't seen It's a Wonderful Life, which I, I don't know if that's the case. Is there anybody in the world that hasn't seen It's a Wonderful Life? I think everybody, oh my goodness gracious. We're going to have to fix this. We're going to have to fix this. It's a Wonderful Life is a fantastic movie. It's not only a great Christmas movie, but it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And a little fun fact, when the movie came out, it originally didn't come out as a Christmas movie. It came out in the, in the middle of the summer. Uh, but, but this movie, nonetheless, it's about George Bailey. And George Bailey 
He's wanted so much in his life to be able to, to venture and to explore, uh, to go on, a, on, on adventures, and he's, he gets uh, uh, dismayed at that at every turn. Every, every moment that he's about ready to venture into some sort of like journey, it's thwarted, and he, he has to stay, and he has to stay connected to this business that he owns called the Bailey Business and Loam. Well, it, it, there are some shenanigans that occur, and one thing leads to another, and there's a, a, a big chunk of money that this business needs that is lost. It's actually stolen, but, it's, but they think it's lost. They can't find it, and there are... Um, uh, 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 what am I, policemen and, and uh, law officials who are then looking for the money. And now George Bailey's in a predicament because he doesn't have this money at all. And so he is trying desperately to find it, can't find it. And he knows that if he can't find it, that he's going to end up in prison. And so he goes to the one person in town that he vowed he would never, ever beg or ask anything for, and that's Potter, right? It's the Darth Vader of It's a Wonderful Life. Potter is the bad guy. And Potter here, he's the richest man in town. He's got tons of money, and he's, he's trying so hard to, to own almost everything in town, in the county. And George Bailey now is in desperation. He has no other recourses, so he goes to Potter, this horrible person, to beg, to beg for some help, all right? And now this is the scene where he's asking Potter, I want you to listen to what happens. Please help me, Mr. Potter. Help me, won't you please? Can't you see what it means to my family? I'll pay any sort of a bonus on the loan, any interest. If you still want the building and loan, I'm... George, could it possibly be there's a slight discrepancy in the books? No, sir, there's nothing wrong with the books. I've just misplaced $8,000. I can't find it anywhere. You misplaced $8,000? Yes, sir. Have you notified the police? No, sir, I, I didn't want the publicity. Harry's homecoming tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, going to believe that one. <laughs> What have you been doing, George? Uh, playing the market with the company's money? No, sir. No, sir. I haven't. Oh, is it a woman, then? Uh, you know, it's all over town that you've been giving money to Violet Bick. What? <laughs> Not that it makes any difference to me, but why do you come to me? Why don't you go to Sam Wainwright and ask him for the money? I can't get a hold of him. He's in Europe. Well, what about all your other friends? Well, they don't have that kind of money, Mr. Potter. You know that. You're the only one in town that can help me. Here, <laughs> I've suddenly become quite important. <laughs> well, what kind of security would I have, George? You got any stocks? No, sir. Bond? Real estate? Collateral of any kind? Well, I have some life insurance. $15,000 policy. Yes. Uh, how much is your equity in it? $500. $500. And you asked me to lend you 8000 Look at you. You used to be so cocky. You were going to go out and conquer the world. You once called me a warped, frustrated old man. What are you but a warped, frustrated young man? Miserable little clerk crawling in here on your hands and knees and begging for help. No securities, no stocks, no bonds, nothing but a miserable little $500 equity and a life insurance policy. <laughs> You're worth more dead than alive. That's the key right there. 
When Potter says to George Bailey, you're worth more dead than alive. That's, that's the message right there. That's the message of hopelessness. Hopelessness, hopelessness tells us falsehoods. It tells us lies. It tells us who we are and who we are not. Now, these aren't, these aren't true. Hopelessness doesn't ring true. It, it rings false, but it has a really loud voice. Now, we have been inundated with circumstances over the course of 2020, and I don't need to wax poetic here on the stage and go over all of the logistics of everything that's occurred. We're well aware. It's been a very tough year. It's not only been a tough year in regards to uh, the general public, but it's been a really tough year specifically for almost every individual that I know. In some way, shape, or form, there has been some sort of, of tribulation and strife and an occurrence that has caused degrees of hopelessness. I'm holding in my hands here articles, articles uh, from various newspapers all throughout the world uh, about all sorts of different uh, stories that have occurred over, the, over, over 2020. Obviously, COVID, we're well aware of COVID and the, the coming in in March and then, and then still going strong and the amount of people infected and the deaths. We have, we have stories in here about the California wildfires and the wildfires in Australia. We have stories about, about what happened to, to George Floyd and just in our backyard and then all of the, the racial uh, unrest that happened as a result of that. We, I have stories in here about, about the president getting impeached, about the, the election, about the results of that, all the turmoil with that, the, the differences between Republicans and Democrats. There are stories in here about, about the, the mask mandates, about stay-at-home orders. I mean, you name it, it's here in these articles. And all of these circumstances, they, they lay a platform, a foundation of hopelessness. And we've been swimming in it. We've been swimming in hopelessness, or it seems like, forever. And when, when we succumb to hopelessness, when we're in the midst of it, when it's the water we're swimming in, we start then believing things about ourselves. Because again, hopelessness wants to convince you of things that aren't true. And so you start thinking or you start saying things like this, and maybe some of it sounds familiar to you, things like, there's something inherently wrong with me. Or maybe hopelessness is causing you to say, I will never be able to change. Or maybe I can't overcome my past mistakes. Or what about this, if people really knew me, they wouldn't like me, want to be around me. Hopelessness tells us that we're not worthy of love or respect or relationship. Hopelessness tells us that God could never use somebody like me. Hopelessness tells us that we'll always be alone, and hopeless tells us that we'll never be accepted. That's the message of hopelessness, and that's the message that is, that is inundated in these pages. And there we are. We're getting into bed with hopelessness. 
And we're listening to these false messages of who we are and who we are not. But, but, fear not. Fear not. I want you to repeat these lines after me, if you would. I will, I'll say a line, and then I want to hear you say it. All right? Simple enough? <laughs> Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth, goodwill to all men. Let all the world sing the chorus of joy. Because hope was born this night. Amen. There's this other moment now in the movie where after George Bailey is uh, meeting and begging with Potter to give him some of that, some money, some hope, some help, uh, Potter says no, says you're worth more dead than alive. And, and George Bailey now, he doesn't know what to do. And, and so he goes to this bar and he has this beautiful moment uh, in desperation, in complete hopelessness. He prays, he presents himself to God and he says this prayer that I just, I find very relevant to my own life and I bet to yours as well. Let's listen. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Glad you come. How about some of that good spaghetti? We got everything. God. I'm not a praying man, but if you're up there and you can hear me, show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope, right? Show me the way, oh God. Show me the way. Show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope. I'm at the end of my rope. How many of us could relate, could relate to that? That sentiment, you know, maybe, maybe not currently in this moment, but we've all been there, haven't we? At the end of our rope, completely feeling like we have no other recourse or other option. You see, hopelessness doesn't want to just hang out with us. It doesn't want to just buddy up with us. Hopelessness rather wants to push us to the brink. It wants us to, to, to get to the end of our rope. Listen to what it says in Psalm 69 in the Old Testament, right smack dab in the middle of the Old Testament, in verses 18 to 20. This is the message version, and it says, Come close, God, get me out of here. See if you can relate to this. Rescue me from this death trap. You know how they kick me around and they pin on me the donkey's ears and the dunce's cap. I'm broken by their taunts, I'm flat on my face reduced to a nothing. I looked in vain for one, one friendly face, but not one. I couldn't find one shoulder to cry on. That's what on the, at the end of our rope is like. And when we're at, 
when we're at the end of our rope, we're desperately trying to look around, we're trying to grab onto something that will keep us from falling. But what ends up happening is it's like one of those movies where someone's at, uh, hanging off the edge of a cliff and they grab for a branch and the branch comes, comes out of the cliff. Everything that we grab fails us. That's what this year has been. See, one of the, not only has it been difficult because there's been this pandemic that's been ravaging throughout the world, not only has it been difficult because of the racial unrest and because of all the political turmoil, but it's been difficult because there's been so many things that we thought we could, that we do, that we should depend on, that's failed us. Our eyes have been open in ways that maybe they haven't been before. Because we've been going through life in the past thinking that we can and should depend on this and that. And then we go into 2020 and we realize that we can't really depend on anything. And we're at the end of our rope. Hopelessness has pushed us to the brink. But then God looks down. And this is what he says in Psalm 91. If you'll hold on to me for dear life, says God, if you'll hold on to me for dear life, I'll get you out of any trouble. I'll give you the best of care if only you'll only, uh, I'll give you the best of care if you'll only get to know and trust me. If you'll only know me and trust me. Call me and I'll answer I'll be at your side in bad times. I'll rescue you. It's not, it's not about grabbing on to anything when we're in hopelessness, when we're at the end of our rope. It's about grabbing on to the right thing. And the right thing is God. It's God. So there we are, we're hanging by a thread, we're at the end of our rope, and we're looking for anything or anyone to save us. And God reveals himself. Again, repeat after me, glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth and goodwill to men. Let all the world sing the chorus of joy. Because hope was born this night. Earlier on in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, you may remember that there's a scene after uh, George Bailey prays. He then goes to a bridge in town, and he looks down at that icy water, and he has this resolute look on his face, and he, you, can, you can tell, you know, that he's going to end his life. And he gets ready to jump, but, but saves the day, Clarence, right? His guardian angel. Clarence jumps in, <laughs> and then George Bailey saves him. Well, Clarence then shows George Bailey what his life would be like if he never existed. 
And so George Bailey then experiences that and, 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 and the, the loss and, and his family's there no longer, his wife's there no longer, his, 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 ma, ma, his mother has no recollection of him. Uh, the town has gone to Potter. Um, Potter has taken control of everything. And now George Bailey is realizing that he wants so desperately now to go back. Hope is starting to be realized in his life a little bit. And so he goes back to that same bridge, thinking that's where it began. If I go back to that bridge, maybe I can go back to my life. And he has this moment where he pleads, he pleads to go back. Listen to this. Clarence! Clarence! Help me, Clarence! Get me back! Get me back, I don't care what happens to me. Get me back to my wife and kids. Help me, Clarence, please. Please. I want to live again. I want to live again. I want to live again. Please, God, let me live again. (laughs) I want to live again. I want to live again. Please, God, I want to live again. The beginning of hope, beginning of hope, it comes when we consciously decide to live the way that God wants us to, that God has destined for us to, to not live according to the lies of hopelessness, but the truth of God. It happens when we become fed up with hopelessness. It happens when we've become fed up with desperation, and instead we want something real, something true. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, it says, Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. And we have this hope. We have this hope as an anchor. As an anchor. Unmovable. Constant, strong, firm. Since God cannot change, it is impossible for God to be proven false. Therein lies the anchor for our soul because our assurance... Our assurance does not depend on our own strength and ability. It doesn't depend on the strength and ability of anybody else in our lives or in this world. Rather, our assurance depends solely on the absolute trustworthiness of God. The word hope that's used in this passage, it means looking forward to a confident expectation. And that word confident is key. Because to hope in something means that you are sure of its arrival. That you are sure that it will transpire. We use hope in ways that we shouldn't. Example, I hope the Vikings will win a Super Bowl before I die. That's not hope. <laughs> that, that, is, that, is, that is wishful thinking. Hope 
is the confident expectation. We are confident that God will provide. We are confident that God will be there. Why? Because he always has. And he always will. That's, that's the anchor. He is constant. He is true. Confidence is only possible when one is certain of the reason for hoping. And, and what's the reason? Are these things the reason? Uh, all the, the political stuff, the COVID stuff, the, uh, the, the racial, all that stuff, is, is, that, is that the reason? Or have we been looking and grabbing desperately onto things that we can't depend on? So there we are hanging confidently, not onto these things, not onto the circumstances that surround us, but confidently on the Almighty. Again, please repeat after me. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth, goodwill to all men. Let all the world sing the chorus of joy. Because hope was born this night. Love came down and rescued me. Love came down and rescued you. Love came down in the person of Jesus Christ, God with us, Emmanuel. Hope leads us to see to see ourselves the way that God sees us. Again, our circumstances, they're not dictating. They're not dictating who we are or who we are not. Rather, God says, you, because you choose to believe, because you choose to believe that my son, Jesus Christ, died for you and then rose from the dead and is living today, you are a child of the Almighty God. We need to no longer allow hopelessness in our circumstances to dictate who we are. Rather, we need to see that God overcame the world. He has overcome our circumstances. He has overcome all that has happened over the course of 2020. There is nothing, there is nothing that is beyond God. So God takes this, he takes all that would, that would hope to try to say who we are and to dictate how it is that we see ourselves, how it is that we see others, how it is that we process this world. And God says, I got a different message for you. My son, Jesus Christ, when you couldn't come to me, God says, because that chasm was so wide because a sinful humanity certainly could not have a relationship with a holy and perfect God. And so God says, I'll come to you. God says, I'll come to you. And so God came to us, God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ. You know, we, we have this time of year, Christmas. Man, I love Christmas. I love Christmas. I love everything about this season. I love the, the trees and the lights. I love the frosted sugar cookies. 
I love the Christmas specials. I love wrapping gifts and putting them under the tree. And certainly Christmas morning, opening them up with my, with my family. I don't care about what I get. I used to. <laughs> I don't anymore. I love Christmas. There are so many companies out there who make a killing on creating nativity scenes out of plastic that they sell to us. And we put them, we put them on tables or desks or under the tree in our homes. And we see little Jesus, you know, laying in a manger there, and we, we feel like, okay, well, that's Christmas. But that's not what Christmas is about. And I don't know how many how many times we got to say that for it to sink in. Christmas is not about baby Jesus. It's about when all hope was gone. God came to us to die for us, for you and for me. Jesus, I'm sure he was a beautiful baby boy, (laughs) but in that baby was God himself. And the only way for us to have that relationship with God was for him to come to us. He did. But then he had to die so that he could defeat death and provide a way when there wasn't one for us to have life and to have hope. So then our reality isn't this it isn't it isn't this our reality is that God has overcome all this and in him there's an anchor for our soul that will never fail that's that's Christmas and if we go through this Christmas season without accepting the truth of that message if we go through this Christmas season without really digging into this, then it's another Christmas season that we missed out. Would you pray with me? Father, I know that there is somebody in this room, somebody who feels like they are at the end of their rope. And they've been trying in vain to reach out and to grab a hold of anything or anyone only to see that thing or that person fail time and time again. I pray, Father, I pray that that we would instead look up and we would see your hand reaching down an anchor for our soul, strong and secure.
never failing, never faltering, always faithful, always true. Hope, a confident expectation. You provided the way for us to have life everlasting. We have the assurance of eternity. And the Bible says that when anybody decides to follow Jesus, when they make the conscious decision to say, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ wasn't just a good guy who died for a good cause, but that he was the son of the living God. And that he died on the cross for my sins. And he rose from the dead. He defeated death. And that he's living today. And the Bible says that when one believes and confesses this to be true, that they are saved. That they have a hope that will never fail, never falter, never diminish, that will always be true. And we are guaranteed an eternal presence with you. That's Christmas. So, Lord, I pray that you would open our our eyes and our hearts to you this Christmas, that we would see you maybe in ways that we haven't for quite some time, or for some of us that we would see you in ways that we never have, and that we would would fix our eyes on you and allow you to wrap your arms around us. Pray this in your name.